This is exactly right. That's Georgia Hardstar. Thank you. That's Karen Kilgariff. You're welcome. <laughs> um, the Frank. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dog snuffling excitedly. Frank. Frank's doing a thing on the bed where he's just running his nose. He's driving Ooh, his yeah. nose back and forth along the bed. Ooh, it feels good. Did you get some itches? What's it feels good. How's it going? <laughs> it's going, man. It's good. We're recording <laughs> Mondays now. <laughs> It's, it is a change, though. Yeah. Mondays are a different vibe. They are. Tuesdays, sometimes Wednesdays, if we were really going to push it. Yeah. Mondays is like we're getting it together. Yeah. So if we're missing, like if if Bitcoin explodes on Wednesday and we don't somehow, you're like, <laughs> how are they not talking about Bitcoin and Dogecoin? It's because... Dogecoin is the new American currency. Why aren't they even addressing it? In the fan cult, we only accept Dogecoin now because it's cute. <laughs> so get used to it. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that I'm like, I'm pretending that I can ignore it where it's like, well, that I'm old. It doesn't apply to me where it's like, yeah, that's exactly how you basically get sucked under by culture. Yeah. Does money apply to you? Because. Oh, please. Yes. <laughs> I hope. I, you know, I stay young by reading Reddit and reading up on <laughs> what happens in Reddit. They keep me young, man. Those commenters. I stay young with emollients and moisturizers. <laughs> slathering them. I stay young over. by eating the blood of... No. No. Oops. Careful. Oh, shit. I almost gave away my secret. <laughs> my secret you give, this. You'll give away... This you'll be attacked by QAnon if you start making jokes <laughs> like that. I will say, so I had lunch with my mom today. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of which, <laughs> I was just gonna say she looks incredible. She's like Janet is five. Hot is a hot piece. She's a gorgeous woman. She is. She has no had no work done. I'm forty and have had more work done than she has. <laughs> and she's she just also, and she used to bathe in the sun with Crisco on as a yeah. child. And she looks incredible. Is she? Does she? Eat a certain type of diet? No. Is she some kind of she doesn't adhere to a certain this or that? No, we're big uh we're big red wines. Red wine, you know, she's healthy. She eats well. Mm -hmm. I'm like, can I get a piece of that those genes? Hopefully you're my real mother because Yeah, keep <laughs> <laughs> This is where it all comes out. I know. I start to <laughs> age terribly and she's like, Well, got something I gotta tell you. Uh, w she also has amazing hair. Oh, a mane. It's a mane. Truly. The first time I saw her, uh, she walked in when we were, um, decorating for your wedding. Yeah. And she came in with sunglasses on her head and this head of hair. I was like, is Gloria Steinem here? <laughs> Who is that? It was crazy. <laughs> she looks, she looks like she hasn't actually worked hard her whole entire life, which she absolutely has, and had three children who were very rambunctious. Yes. At once, basically. Yeah. yeah. Both my yeah, parents. Yeah, back to back. Oh, you know, I was thinking, how much older is your sister than you? 18 months, baby. Same as yours. Oh, shit. 
Oh, you, you're Irish twins, too. We're Irish twins. Uh, I was a gift, not an accident. She always <laughs> tells me that. <laughs> then don't bring it up. Then I know. Don't bring it up. I don't need to know anything, though. That's I don't need to know that. <laughs> you don't have to blame yourself for all the troubles of their marriage, Georgia. If you just didn't know that, no, you it has nothing wanted. to do with you. It has nothing. <laughs> you know what? Maybe that's what keeps Janet's skin so tight. Is she just keeps telling the truth? <laughs> like, dude, <laughs> it's very dude. Uh, what am I doing? Was there? Did you have a little story about a? Probably. You told me some people got shots out. Oh, yeah. I wanted to give a shout out to the shout out that the Weedorinos got. What? In, yeah. In um, an article in Vulture by um, Kevin Cortez wrote an article called The Wide and Wonderful World of Weed Podcasts, oh, <laughs> which amen. I, I thought it was just Doug Benson. <laughs> It's I Doug, didn't know there was a wide world. It's Doug Benson and our friend Henry Zabrowski of Last Podcast on the Left. Who Did you know that Last Podcast on the Left had herb grinders in their merch store that sold out immediately? No. That's awesome. <laughs> and then they're also going to launch official podcast Weed Vapes in the future. <laughs> so God's work, gentlemen. The ultimate crossover. Well That's done, right. boys. But so then it says, and beyond the category of podcast creators, there are the weederinos, the weeded My Favorite Murder Murderinos fans who congregate and bond over pot on Facebook. <laughs> Whether they... Da, 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 da. Just like the stig... They're, they're making the stigma of smoking weed. Um, n- less so... And so I I want to give them a shout out for their shout out. And uh, we support you. And here's how you do that. You go, hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. Beer cool, funds. man. Beer funds. <laughs> <laughs> Weederinos represent. That's right. Thank you for listening. Thank you for 420-ing we every day. We accept all types in this community. We lo- We appreciate you. And we think we can learn from you, <laughs> too. <laughs> I'm not high right now. <laughs> Believe it or Officially. not. God, I wish I had a piece of news for you, but I, I, I truly, I mean, I've done a lot. I've done a lot of um, patting myself on the back because I do the dishes every morning. <laughs> uh, Karen, can I just tell you how much more that is than I do every, any day, every day, quarantine or not? <laughs> I mean, but I do, I'm almost doing it just so I'm like, don't, um, you know, oh, well, here's a better way to say it. I had a couple people over. It started as I was going to have one person over uh-huh. to eat dinner who had also had their second shot a uh-huh. while ago. And then people started hearing about it. So we ended had a like basically it was a four person dinner party, uh-huh. which is how I discovered I only had two forks left. <laughs> total can you fucking believe that shit i was like i i i don't notice right i just use the one and then the other one's in the sink and it it doesn't really it didn't come up for me and then when i went to grab forks there was two and i was just like well this Uh, is uh, very embarrassing bring your own fork f thank god though we ordered so much chinese food the Chin Chin just gave us so many, Love not it. just chopsticks, but forks that it <laughs> it was covered easily and Aye. everyone didn't care. But I was the point of the story was that um, at the end of the night, 
everyone went home and it was, of course, very short because we all got exhausted immediately. Point being, um, <laughs> we all every, when everyone went home and I laid down to um, watch my British procedurals and go to sleep uh-huh. on the couch, uh-huh. I was filled with what can only be described was as like an effervescent feeling that I haven't had in a year and a half or since I've been around more than two dogs or like <laughs> one other person uh. before. It was the weird, it was the weirdest thing where I, I finally got the sense of how empty my tank is mm. in terms of just like actually being a human being. Mm-hmm. Because I laid down, I was like, I felt like it, it had been my birthday party (laughs) and it it literally was like four of us eating Chinese food and that's it. It was not that big of a deal at all. And I was like kind of giggly and like, "Mm." and then I just went, holy fuck. (laughs) This is what it's a reset button on everyone's social life. I feel like we can reassess what we want it to look like, how we want to like arrive and present ourselves. Yeah. But I, but it's the, I didn't understand. I think we've all been coping. And I think the coping meeting the second vaccination, we're now transitioning out of coping and into trying to start over. Mm-hmm. And that in between phase is very odd and painful and problematic. Awkward. Probably Awkward. it's going to create issues. And it's also it's like you can't cope and acknowledge how like not great it is you know what I mean you just have to get through it and like not think about it yeah so the fact the first you know the first one was just like oh my god it was like it was so exciting for something very standard yeah of just like eating eating some food and not and chit-chatting the fork Um, revelation is a big one though I feel like that's gotta be remedied before the quarantine's over where did they go I haven't (laughs) left this house I it's not like you know when you used to I would I definitely did this all the time where I'd be running late and throw something together to bring in the car I've seen you in the offices with silverware I thought you were just posh (laughs) showing off yeah, I like to show off spoons. Look, <laughs> this is mine, I say to people right now. I refuse to eat yogurt off of plastic. <laughs> it's bad for but, the environment. First of all, these are forks. So yeah. that, like, I don't take dinner anywhere. Like, the whole idea of it is so odd. And I just can't imagine Good. where they are it's vulnerable. or where they went. It's vulnerable for you to admit it. I just keep buying more. <laughs> It's really strong. And soups. I hate little spoons and little forks. So I just keep, you can't buy lard, whatever. Let's talk about, this is called Cutlery Corner. Cutlery Corner. (laughs) Oh, remember? Remember we used to watch? Oh, remember the, the night, night show? The yes. Night show. This is early days. Oh, th- this is another Vince. <laughs> Vince is great at like stoner TV. <laughs> yes, He's he really is. good at it. And so the knife show, which was just a QVC, like off brand QVC knives, all kinds of knives, knives, not like dinner knives, but like knives sets, but Bowie, Bowie, knife, Bowie, Bowie knives, David Bowie knives. David Bowie knives. Yeah. Uh, and swords. Like, so, swords. Katana swords. Swords yeah. and just <laughs> anything you your little heart desires. And then the hosts were just like precious. They were amazing. And it was always when we were back in the hotel room after live yes. shows. Hey, Karen, if, if you've seen this episode of forensic files turn on channel whatever the fuck (laughs) texting between rooms (laughs) then there was one where we like turn on the tv paul holes is on an old episode of like dateline remember yep 
Yeah, where he was repping 1993 forensics. That's right. When he was just like, guys, I'm telling you, the new thing is going to be. Yeah. Please <laughs> don't spit at the crime scene anymore. <laughs> when you're cleaning up the scene, it really fucks things up. Okay. Yeah. Please. It's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just my, that's my, um, the end of quarantine adjustment period, I think, is people need to really give themselves some room. No big moves. Um, there's going to be big feelings. Try to surf right through those. Um, you know, yeah. take a walk, go outside. Wow. That's helpful. Beautiful out there, man. Pretty um, nice. It's springtime. Can I tell you, speaking of going for walks, we've been like trying to find outdoor things to do with my nephews, you know, because they don't like to eat masks. Or <laughs> I say that because <laughs> my sister had to kept ye yelling at five-year-old Joe, stop eating your mask. He, would, <laughs> he likes to suck it into his mouth and chew on it. Joe. <laughs> Joe, baby, stop eating your mask. And then that. little Lou's too young to wear one, you know. So we went to train town in Griffith Park, which is just this lovely little, they have old trains that you can walk in and see what they're like and stuff. And kids love trains so my nephew who's 10 there was there and, and he's kind of micah is kind of you know over it he's a big kid now and he likes anime yeah, he's a big kid. He, yeah so he kept saying george are you gonna get recognized auntie george are you gonna get recognized and i was like if someone doesn't fucking walk up to me with my favorite murder shirt on right now and hug me <laughs> he's gonna be so disappointed in me <laughs> i almost wanted to pay someone but then when we left we were in the parking lot and someone this lovely lady did and i was like will you go find my nephew and tell him that you know who I am. <laughs> that's it. And then I text him because now he's a texter. Ugh, I, that's Nora's a texter too now. <gasps> I get to text her anytime. Who gave you a phone, kid? She got a um for Christmas. She got to get a phone because everybody else was. She's a one. teenager though, so I feel like that's okay. Yeah, Mike she is, is not. Um. But does, it, does he not have a phone? He gets to text on his parents' phone? No, he has his own phone now. And I offered him my like old laptop to play games and stuff on. And they were like, no, he's fine. He has a gaming laptop. Like, he's a gamer now. And they were wow. like, we're good. Thanks. See, that's the thing. L.A. Like, L.A. 10 is NorCal 14. Totally. I always said this growing up. There were kids whose parents would get divorced. The dad would move to L.A. And then this summer, that kid would go down to L.A. And when they came back, they were literally like two years ahead of everybody else in yeah. our town. So I'm going to donate it. There's like a um, really good program where you can donate old electronics. Not old, you know, electronics to... Um, to schools that are in need of those things so oh good yeah i'm gonna nice. do that but micah don't fucking need my shit yeah <laughs> uh should we do exactly right corner yeah we get let's make some announcements yeah we got some good ones guys this is the, a huge one that's been in the works for a long time. We are so honored and excited to bring these two brilliant young women to your life because everyone needs to know them and love them the way we do. And full credit, Georgia, uh, Georgia's the one who discovered these guys. Thank Their you. podcast existed beforehand. She was a fan. And um, and then she said, I think these guys would be perfect to be on the network and bring a completely new um, genre yeah. to the network. You're, which is These really are going to be your best friends. Guys, the true Beauty Brooklyn podcast hosted by estheticians and, and just badass entrepreneurs, Alex Shapiro and Elizabeth Taylor. Yes, that Elizabeth Taylor are 
are coming at you this Friday, April 30th. We are so freaking stoked. So they're bringing the vibe of their Brooklyn Beauty Studio to life. So of course they're giving everybody, they're answering your questions about um, the science behind healthy and beautiful skin and things like eyebrow shaping and all the stuff that you want to know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But they're also inviting friends and guests who are experts um, who identify as women and they're members of the LGBTQ plus community and other groups that have been historically marginalized. They're sharing not just their tips and tricks, but their life's journey with us. And it's basically beauty school for all. Yeah, that's right. Um, So you can hear the trailer of a true Beauty Brooklyn. See, it's not the easiest thing to say <laughs> fast, um, but you can hear their trailer at the end of this episode. And then their network premieres tomorrow, Friday, April 30th uh, on the Exactly Right podcast network. That's exactly right. And every Friday, there's going to be a new episode. So what's really cool, too, is that their, their back catalog of so they've been doing this for a long time. So you can go back and listen to all those episodes as well. So I we will say this again, and I will always say this. Um Rate, review, subscribe to your favorite yes. podcasts. That is that is the bread and butter of how you get um, visibility. Go ahead. And it's, just, I would say, I would order that. I know that's the way people have memorized to yes. say it, but I would say subscribe. Absolutely. Rate. Yes. Those are the two important ones. Because yes. that's how you let people know, I love this podcast and I'm listening to this podcast. Yeah. And then the review is just a cherry on top. It, do- it definitely does count. And, which yes. is, you know, important. So please, any podcast you love is it's really important to do those things for them. And, you know, and welcome True Beauty Brooklyn. We're so happy to have you. Yes. Welcome, ladies. Alex and Yay. Elizabeth, we're so happy to have you on board. And speaking of people that we are um, working with these days, of course, everyone knows, everyone heard our big announcement that we are now in partnership with Nick Terry, who makes those amazing MFM animated um, uh cartoons, <laughs> animations uh, for us. And uh, we love him dearly. Everyone has uh, loved him so much. And now he's actually working with us. Um, so go to um, the YouTube page um, where you can watch all of the Nick Terry videos. And now hot on the heels of that partnership, there is merch. That's right. So go watch all of the incredible. There's like 20 something videos at youtube.com slash exactly right media. Again, please subscribe. But then go to myfavoritemurder.com for your uh, T-shirts, mugs and koozies with the infamous cocaine bear and Mothman characters on it. And there's also new designs with the full cast members that have ever been in his videos. And they are so to be like, oh my God, that's even us. We're like, oh my God, that's so-and-so. That's so, that's this character. That's that character. And there's a really cute one of the, the two of us. Um, that I, it's just, Mothman and, and ske- skeleton girl. That's we can, we'll right. call it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's really great. Uh, two more things. This podcast will kill you. They're doing COVID-19 frontline workers. And I said, no gifts has Jimmy freaking Kimmel on it. And Bridger and Jimmy have known each other for a long time. So it's a great episode. Yeah. Okay. One more piece of business. So I know we're businessing you out. Um, but this one's a big one. We're very excited because uh, as we announced, we're our second book will be coming out, which we're very excited about. And our publisher Forge Books, they are ha- doing a give of giveaway for our listeners. It's a sweepstakes actually. Um, so it's, it's SSDGM swag, two lucky winners. 
will receive ultra rare an ultra rare SSDGM lunchbox, mm. a brand new copy of our paperback, which is available May 11th, and other cool uh, merchy stuff inside of that. It's very cool. So enter your chance to win and see rules and regulations. We legally have to say this. Go to yes, we do. Go to bit.ly. So bit.ly slash SSDGM prize pack. I know that's a long one. We'll put it on the website. <laughs> um, you can find all the links in our social media as well. And we'll announce the winners here in two weeks. Yeah. So if you want a lunchbox, if you want one of the two lunchboxes, then get on there and try to get it. That's right. That's right. That reminds me of the 90s when uh, there was a drug dealer um, <laughs> girl who used to carry a lunchbox around at all the comedy shows. And, and really? Sell, and sell out of her lunchbox. Oh, that's so Entrepreneur. So entrepreneur. Yeah. And was, hip. That was definitely a thing. The lunchboxes back in the 90s. When are those going to come back? Right now. Right. Did you hear the announcement? Oh, you're going to come a drug They're dealer? back. Oh. <laughs> No, our sweepstakes. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Carry a lunchbox with our fucking mugs, on, our faces on it. <laughs> oh, I wish there was a thermos in there, man. A matching thermos. Too late. <laughs> um, I'm on a <laughs> podcast that I'd like to plug this week called um, In Recovery. And it's hosted by Dr. Harrison. And she is just she fixed me in an hour on a Zoom call, if you can fucking believe it. She was so good. I really opened up to her and I'm really proud of how it turned out. And so um, rate, review and subscribe to that podcast. It's on Lemonada Media. It's it's a great podcast and it's really helpful for people. To, to and people. support Lemonada Media because that's a all women run podcast network. That's right. That's right. And they're doing great stuff over there. Yep. Ladies to the front. Ladies to the front. Hey, Kathleen Hanna. Kathleen Hanna. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. 
Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Should we go in? This is a quilt episode. Should we go into our intros? Quilt it up, baby. Come on. Am I first, Steven? Yep. You're first this week. Okay. What you got? So... This is, God, it's just, it's like one more big announcement. This, my story this week is from, if you heard this episode, it was in the 20, maybe six hours that it was posted in 2019 (laughs) before we had to pull it right back down. For legal issues. It's the infamous Lost Glasgow episode. And um, yeah, we had to pull it down for legal (laughs) issues. But um, turns out my story was in the clear. Uh, So we're going to share the half that we can share with you this week. So this is us. I mean, it feels like it was only yesterday that we were back. We were escaping the UK without going to prison. (laughs) So this is uh, the Glasgow 2019 show. And so here's my story of me covering the Beast of Birkinshaw. I'm going to do the Beast of Birkinshaw, Peter Manuel. Wow. But man, I don't like this story. <laughs> man. You don't like it? You know, I try to find the ones that are like kind of weird and kind of interesting that I can go off and then make a ton of jokes about. This guy's not funny at all. <laughs> Um, but amazing. And, uh, yeah, it's also like those stories that come from like the starts in the fifties and just, it's like the dark ages of police and detective work. It's just like, there was nothing anyone had. They had to find like a knife in a hand to get like actual hard evidence. So there's so many situations in this story where they're like, but there's no evidence. So they couldn't do it. Or they like put their cigarette out on the evidence on accident. They were smoking while investigating. Well, they were, they were calling in photographers from the newspapers to come and stand on evidence real quick before they picked up the evidence. It was a different time. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, I got a lot of information on a website called oldglasgowmurders.blogspot.com. Perfect. That's why I laughed so hard at yours. I was like, how many Glasgow murder blog spots are there? And then I remembered how big the internet is. <laughs> I also watched a series on Daily Motion called Serial Killers, and this one was specifically about the Beast of Birkinshaw. And an article on a website um, called Radio Times that was written by Eleanor Blake Griffiths. Okay, so we start on July 30th, 1955. Uh, that night, around 11 p.m., 29-year-old Mary McLaughlin is walking home from a dance when a man jumps out of the bushes, covers her mouth, holds a knife to her throat, and tells her not to speak. Mm. So everyone's worst nightmare. Um, He makes her climb over a fence so that they're in a secluded field. And there he spends the next hour alternately groping and kissing her and then threatening to cut off her head. 
When he finally stops, he apologizes to Mary, explains that he's just upset and that her red hair reminded him of someone and made him want to kill. Oh, oh, you're upset? Then by all means. What the fuck? Take someone with a knife, you fucking psychotic baby. Okay, so. He then asks Mary if she'd like a cigarette and offers to walk her home. You know, to protect her from all the other fucking rapists that are out there. Oh, my God. Then he mentions to her that he thinks they ride the same bus. Fuck. So... Mary reports the attack to the police, and with her help, they're able to identify her attacker as 28-year-old repeat offender, Peter Manuel. All right. Yeah. Um, From The Office? What's his name? Jim from The Office? (laughs) American. American Office. John Krasinski, ladies and gentlemen. Stop trying to be a fucking movie hero, dude. John Krasinski um, went on like a, a no carb diet, and uh, now he's lost his mind. I think it looks <laughs> almost exactly like Robert De Niro. Oh yeah. And yeah. there's actually, I was looking at this picture. Um, like Jay sent me a bunch of uh, options for the pictures, and I picked this one. And then later on, I found one where it looks exactly like Robert De Niro. Mm. <clears throat> we it's trust crazy. you. So. That guy, Peter Manuel, he was born originally in New York City, so this, this one's on us. Um, but to Scottish parents. Um, and in 1927, uh, his family moves back to Scotland in 1932 when he's five years old. Um, they move down to Coventry, and that's where Peter really gets serious about being a shitty little criminal. So... <laughs> He's a very smart child. He earns himself a spot in a, in a good grammar school, and then he gets caught breaking into a house in grammar school. Holy shit. In grammar school. Um, this is, I think, under the age of 10, I believe. So he gets kicked out of the good grammar school, and he has to go to what's called an approved school, which is basically like a boarding school juvie, essentially. Um, delinquent boarding school. So he stays there for a while, runs away from that one. Apparently he, he over his lifetime got a reputation as a big uh, breakout artist. He, um, so he runs away from that school. He gets caught, of course, then he has to just go to a different um, boarding school for bad children. When in 1941, he's 14, again, um, he gets caught breaking into a house down the street from his new school. Um, but now his crimes have begun to escalate from just plain petty crimes to Jesus fucking Christ. What's going on? <laughs> they always uh, seem to do that. Don't yeah, they? they do. But this guy's doing it in like his early teens, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. So apparently he breaks into this house, and then, a- according to the report, quote, the lady of the house saw him coming from her bedroom with an axe in his hand. And as a result, she had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Horrifying. Yeah. It's a murder child in my house. Oh, my God. Okay, so within the year, Peter's charged with three more cases of breaking and entering and of robbery. Um, and during one of those robbery robberies, he decides, he, he comes upon a woman sleeping in her bed. It's her house. So he, um, he starts beating over the, her over the head with a hammer. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. and it leaves her with a concussion and brain hemorrhage, but she survives. Um, so, yeah. So, when he's 15... <laughs> fucking 15 yet? He's not even a freshman yet. Um, he assaults the wife of one of the school's staff members. Mm. 
He doesn't give a fuck. So he knocks that woman out um, with a stick. He strips her. He drags her into the woods. He attempts to rape her, um, but he's caught in the act. Um, but she and he hurts her badly enough that she has to get stitches. But other than that, um, uh, she's okay. He's charged with indecent assault and pleads guilty um, to robbery with violence. Okay, so it's 1943 now. He's 16. Um, and he lands himself in Borstal, and, uh, which is basically, a, it's a juvie down there. Mm-hmm. Kind of famous one. And he serves two years there, and the, the staff that works there describes him as a slippery customer. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the little kid with the axe. He's a slippery customer. You better watch out. Uh, okay, so when his two years are up at Borstal, uh, he's 18, so he moves back in with his parents, who now live in Birkenshaw, not uh, just outside Glasgow. So it takes him about th- less than three years to get himself back in prison. In March 1946, he's arrested for the rape and another breaking uh, for rape, sorry, and another breaking and entering charge. But he gets eight years this time. Um, in October of 1952, he's released. Uh, gets a job with British Railways um, for two and a half years. Then the company finds out about his insane past, and they fire him. Um, so around 1954, 1955, um, he meets a red-headed woman named Anna O'Hare, and they fall in love. They plan to get married, um, in July of 1955, but then Anna finds out about Peter's criminal history and she breaks it off. That night, July 30th, 1955, an enraged, uh, Peter assaults Mary McLaughlin. Mm. Um, okay, so he is arrested and tried for the assault of Mary McLaughlin and the evidence against him is damning. A knife with his fingerprints, Mary's blood on his shirt, Mary's account of what happened that night. But no. Uh-huh. He insists upon acting as his own defense. As they always do, those psychopaths, they fucking love it. They're the smartest people on the planet. They know everything. He tells the court that he and Mary had actually been seeing each other and that they were having a fight on the evening of July 30th. Uh, He says he did hit her in the mouth, which explains the blood on the shirt, but that Mary made everything else up because she's jealous and she's out for revenge. The jury declares no verdict due to lack of evidence and Peter Manuel walks free. Fuck. The bad old times, everybody. The bad old times. It's just, a, it's just 12 dudes on that jury going, oh man, I know some jealous bitches. <laughs> Let him go. Let him go. The court reporter's like shaking her head. You motherfuckers, you've done it again. I can't wait for 2019. <clears throat> okay. So... Uh, Peter Manuel's already known around town as an arrogant asshole, uh, but now he believes himself to be untouchable because he basically got himself off in this case uh, uh, that Mary McLaughlin was trying to get him prosecuted for. So on January 2nd, 1956, um, that evening, 17-year-old Ann Neelins is getting ready for a local dance at her friend's house. So Ann's dad wouldn't let her wear makeup. So she walked down to her friend's house um, so she could get ready there. And she gets ready for this dance. Her friends um, 
are taking too long, so she decides to leave mm-hmm. and go by herself. That's the last time her those friends saw her alive. Oh. So she walks into the village um, of Blanter alone. <laughs> Was it High Blanter? And is Blanter incorrectly pronounced? It's been great talking to you all. Thanks so much. <laughs> audience laughing at you. It's so hard at you. (laughs) But you don't know why. (laughs) Usually you have so much control over why they're laughing. Anyway, um, I honestly think that when I was writing High Blanter into (laughs) Tire, Tire. Then Tire. Yeah, but, okay. (laughs) From uh, From the documentary I was watching, that's how they pronounced it, and I wrote it out phonetically, and like correctly phonetically, where bland is in all caps, like it's in the dictionary. Okay, but I guess you know better than a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, so the reason Anne's excited to go to this dance is because she has a date that's gonna meet her there. And, but when she gets there, he stood her up. Right. So, but she still stays at the dance um, till after midnight, and then once again she walks home alone. Um, so she thinks she's alone, but actually she's being followed. Oh, no. And then she realizes there is a man following her, and she starts to run, and he chases her. Oh. Uh huh. He catches her. He drags her onto the East Kilbride golf course, where he rapes her and then brutally beats her to death with a blunt object. Ugh. Um, terribly. Beat, her, he caved her skull in, but he also beat her in the face. So it's when the police actually, you know, ha, when they found the body, it was that kind of thing where it was like there were very, very few murders back right. then in Scotland. I think they, it, in the documentary, they said they had like seven or eight a year. So these guys are traumatized. Yeah, too. and yeah, and it's just really Awful. extreme. Okay, so um, the problem was also Anne's parents thought she was spending the night at her friend's house so they didn't call the police to report her missing until January 4th, um, which is the same day that her body is discovered on the golf course. Um, Okay, here's a, this is a picture of Anne. And then here the police searching the area um, where, near where her body was found. Um, Because there was the golf course, but then the gas company, you know, it was um, at the time, back then it was all these beautiful farms, but they were putting in all these housing, a bunch of housing. So the the gas company was um, putting in gas lines. And there was actually a big workstation right next to this golf course that had all the, uh, I'm calling it the gas company because that's what we call it in California. (laughs) Um, I think I have it written correctly in here somewhere, but... Um, but basically there was a whole work site with all the, um, equipment and stuff for the mm-hmm. digging for them to lay the gas lines. So when reporters arrive at this murder scene, there's a worker from this nearby construction site. there telling, um, them that actually a pair of boots and a pickaxe had been stolen, um, a couple days before from that work site. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, there's a newspaper photographer that overhears this conversation of him telling them that. So he walks over to take a picture of the guy because he's like, oh, this sounds like it might be a lead and there's something here. So I'm going to get a picture of this no. guy. And the guy immediately turns and goes, absolutely no pictures and does like this whole freak out. The guy in the documentary is like, so, so then I had to take his picture. <laughs> 
and it's Peter Manuel. Fuck. Yeah. So he's basically setting up an alibi of like, oh, my boots and pickaxe were stolen from this. Oh my God. And he works for the company. Yes. He, he's working on that site, that exact site. Ugh. Um, so of course the police put that all together and they already know that he's like that this multiple offender. Um, and they also notice that he's got some scratches on his face. Um, so he goes right to the top of the suspect list. Um, but Peter's father provides an alibi for him saying that he was with him on the night of the murder. And Peter explains the scratches away by saying that he got into a street fight here in Glasgow. And the police were like, that's impossible. No one fights in the street, especially after they've been drinking. I saw some fucked up shit when I lived here, I swear to God. <laughs> Girls fighting with huge hoop earrings on. I was like, this is not safe. What are you guys doing? But it was Saturday night. All right. I hope you all do the same tonight. Okay, so without any solid evidence putting him at the scene and with the solid alibi that his dad provides, mm -mm. the police have no choice but to move down the list of suspects and no one gets arrested for Anne's murder. Okay, so... Um, they do, when they do talk to the guy that stood her up at the dance, he had had a really bad hangover and all of his family and friends are like, man, it's, it's the truth. That's why, mm -hmm. which I'm sure that guy feels. Yeah. Oh, oh, so terrible. Okay. So September 17th, 1956, this is nine months later, Marion Watt is at home with her 16 year old daughter, Vivian and her own sister, Margaret Brown. Vivian has um, spent the day window shopping around Glasgow with her friend um, who lives next door. Uh, then she came home. Then they basically just all went to bed. It was just a pretty standard night. Vivian's father, William Watt, is away on a fishing trip. So here's Vivian. Oh. Mm. So in the middle of the night, an intruder breaks into the Watts' home and shoots all three women in the head. Holy shit. So Mrs. Watt and her sister had been both sleeping in in the master bedroom together mm -hmm. in the same bed. So their murders were almost simultaneous. Um, but Vivian's room is found completely torn apart. Her pajama bottoms are ripped. Um, her body is severely beaten. Mm. And even though she was shot in the head, she was still alive when her attacker left. Oh my God. And she actually, uh, the next morning their, their maid came and couldn't get into the house. And normally the door was open and the family was up and doing stuff. She couldn't get into the house. She goes to the next door neighbor. They basically call a, a, a mailman over no. and the mailman sees that somebody has actually broken into the glass on the side of the door. So he reaches in and unlocks the door and then they all find this horrible m massacre, yeah. a massacre of a whole family. Um, so the police, oh, here's the police searching their, the home. Mm -hmm. That's the Watts home. Mm -hmm. And doesn't that look like it's from like World War One? Yeah. It's like so, it's the 50s. Yeah. It was like, uh, oh, here 1,000 years ago. This is what, <laughs> how police used to look for evidence. Is that a metal detector? That's is a metal detector. It's a metal detector. Right there. And it's Winston Churchill who's using it. <laughs> and it's, it's so nice. He used to help everybody. The original detector is yeah. right there. <laughs> okay. So immediately they arrest the father that was away on the fishing trip, oh, William no. Watt. Yes. Um, because they put it together. He was 180 miles away. And... Um, oh, yeah. You guys don't do miles. Yeah. Oh, oh, kilometers or whatever. 
It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, um, whatever it is, he's 180 of them away. <laughs> it's about, it's, he's about two and a half hours away. Okay. And um, they, the police actually basically time it out and say he absolutely, from the last time an eyewitness saw him at the um, Caravan Hotel, um, which is where he was staying for his fishing trip, the last eyewitness, they basically timed it out and they're like, he absolutely could have driven back home, killed his whole family, and then driven back, and then been there in time for the next eyewitness who says they saw him. I don't think it's him. It is not. I'll just, look, spoiler alert. This is going to be over pretty soon anyway. It's not. It's not this guy. And the crazy thing is, but they arrest him and he's immediately in jail, even though uh, there was a hotel worker who said they, that she saw him um, cleaning frost off his um, windshield the next morning. And windscreen? And, but how could it be a screen? Um, and... It wouldn't have been frosty. That's right, because the car would have been in use right. if it was. And there's all these things where they they try to pin it on him, and they, so they go and they interview all the um, gas station attendants on, along the road, yeah. and they're all like, "No, I've never seen that guy before." Um, so then they appeal to the public, and they're like, "Has anybody seen this guy?" So of course, somebody's like, "Yeah, I saw him. Mm-hmm. He's a he's kind." Of, he was a, fair, a guy that ran a ferry. He's like, I totally saw that guy as a dog. And then he starts giving the cops all this information. They're like, we got it. Then they realize, oh, everything this guy's telling us has been in the newspaper. Yeah. So none of this is real. Right. So then they make another appeal. Has anybody seen this? So then another guy comes forward. Come on. And th- this is basically them trying to go, just can it just be this guy and yeah. we can leave him in jail. Yeah. Someone say they saw him, please. Yeah. And the second eyewitness eventually admitted he never really saw the driver's face and kind of wasn't telling the truth. Okay, this is the most nuts part. So this is where, because William Watt's been arrested, Peter Manuel goes from cocky to fucking completely insane and contacts the police about the Watts family murders. No. Yeah, he gets involved. So here's, a, this, is, this whole thing is a quote from the old glasgowmurders.blogspot.com website. <laughs> Please visit there. It's beautifully... It's a great website. It was so comprehensive. Mm. Um, God bless websites like that at 4 o'clock the day of a show. Okay. (laughs) Manuel wrote to the police claiming that he knew who had committed the murder. He had also contacted several newspapers, claimed to have insider knowledge of the crime. He even arranged to have a meal with William Watt and his lawyer at Glasgow's Whitehall restaurant to discuss the case. The husband? No. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yes? <laughs> it had to be him. Yeah. Maybe it was before he was... Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's just the lawyer. You know, you can't trust these blogs. <laughs> <laughs> just immediately shit on them. <laughs> um, well, basically, he, got, yeah, yeah. he basically had a meeting with William Watt. He inserts himself into He entirely show. inserts himself. He claims that a criminal associate who was conveniently unable, he was conveniently unable to name, was responsible for the crime, while simultaneously providing an impressively detailed description of the Watt home, Mm -mm. a description which he claimed had been passed on to him by the perpetrator. In one piece of bizarre behavior, during one of these meetings with Watt, Manuel produced a photograph of his first murder victim. What? So sorry. I want to know what's going to happen. Ann and asked uh, if Watt knew her before ripping the photograph to pieces. So now he's just in there doing some fucking crazy shit because he thinks he's smarter than everybody. 
Um, okay, so the cops in Glasgow uh, are tearing their hair out. They, they know this guy has something to do with it, obviously, but there's never any evidence. So they just, they have to use the evidence that comes up and put somebody in jail because people keep getting murdered. Okay, so a year after the Watts family massacre, on December 28th, 1957, a 17-year-old girl named Isabel Cook is walking from her Mount Vernon home to a school dance when she disappears. I mean, talk about an M.O. It's teenage girls going to and coming from dances. So obviously it's like creeping out, like watching them and stalking them as they go. Totally. So... She disappears. Authorities conduct a massive search for her. She's not found. Um, and, the, of course, the, poli- the first suspect on everyone's mind is Peter Manuel. Um, but, uh, again, no hard evidence. And now he, Peter believes he cannot be caught. Um, but he's very wrong. So, But, unfortunately, this doesn't get... It, it, it's one of those things where you're just like, if only, like, yeah. if only that's when they found this right. case, or if only they didn't insist it was William Watt and looked into it further. Totally. Um, because in the early morning of New Year's Day, 1958, Peter and Doris Smart and their 10-year-old son, Michael, are all shot dead in their Uddington home. Is it Uddington? It is? Thank you. Thank you. She wants us to feel better about ourselves. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. You can do it, girls. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is just, this is just terrible. This Aww. family is just murdered. He's such a fucking asshole. He's a real piece of shit. And after this crime, he lives in their house for a week. So beyond like psychopath, right? So he's, he hangs out, he eats their food, he drives their car, he feeds their cats. What? Which is just creepy. Um, At one point, he gives a a policeman a ride to go search for Isabel Cook in their car. What the? Oh, in their, this family's car. In this family's car. Takes a policeman to go to the... Yeah, to go look for her, his previous victim. This guy's just like, doesn't give a fuck. He's the devil. Um, Okay, but a week after the Smart family murders, Peter Manuel goes to a pub and uses um, what what looks like brand new money to pay for his drinks. And the bartender, who is the smartest motherfucker in the world, is like... This guy shouldn't have this much money, and why is it brand new? So he calls the cops, yeah. and he's like, here's the serial numbers, here's this money. I don't know what's going on. It, I feel like people are never encouraged enough to just be this involved. Yeah. You don't have to like go to the mat or whatever, yeah. but just if you, if you go like, that's weird. Hey, policeman, do you think this is weird? <laughs> do you want to run this through some machines or something? So, of course, when they check with the bank, of course, I lost my goddamn spot. Fucking bartenders, man. Like, God, yeah, let's just take a like moment. on it. Yeah. And like, no one know, no one realizes they're the only person who's not shit-faced in the bar. <laughs> and they're fucking paying attention. Or they're really good at being shit-faced. Right. Um, okay, so, oh, I just need to turn the page. Okay, so the bank, they go, they take the money to the bank, and the money is traced back to Peter Smart, who had withdrawn a bunch of cash for the holiday. Mm. Because remember that, when you had to get money, and like, in planning ahead, Mm -hmm. you had to get all your money at once? Yeah. (laughs) It's a long time ago. But before, there were ATMs 
you just had to stand in the bank with your mom and wait for her to take like $800 in cash out and then just roll the dice on the streets of Petaluma. This is a personal story. Anyway, anyhow. Those dangerous streets of Petaluma. <laughs> oh, we had to fight our way to the car. It was parked right outside. Anyway. Finally, authorities have the hard evidence they need to connect Peter Manuel with one of the series of the murders that were terrorizing Glasgow. So finally, on January 14th, 1958, people, not people, police arrest. (laughs) (laughs) Almost there. Peter Manuel at his parents' home in Birkenshaw for the triple murders of the Smart family. Mm. Here's a smug shot. Dick. Okay. Yeah. No more. No, I don't like it. Um, Okay. So at first he denies killing the Smart family, but when police arrest his father on a lesser charge, he caves and confesses to all eight murders, including the murder of Isabel Cook, the girl who was missing. Mm -hmm. He tells police that he had, again, same MO, stalked, raped, and beaten her to death, Mm -hmm. and then he led them to where he buried her her body. Um, So his trial begins May of 1958, And even though he's already confessed to the murders, he enters a plea of not guilty and, once again, represents himself in court. God. Yeah? Go ahead, ding-dong. He's like, no, I... (laughs) I just called a serial killer a ding-dong. I'm aware of that. Yeah, that's how we take the power back. In these little ways, here and there. He is a fucking (laughs) ding-dong. I'm sorry, I'm hopped up on hula hoops. <laughs> Coffee, hula hoops, and a can of wine is what I had for Wait dinner Wait a second. Tonight. And I am sorry because we're almost done, but... What? Um, your instant coffee is horrible. <laughs> Why didn't anybody write us a quick note to say, do not under any circumstances... Say yes to instant coffee. I had it on the train. I thought that guy hated my guts. It I was like, like a prank. That's got to be Manchester's fault, right? Think so. Like, we were coming. The train was coming from there to oh, they, here. They block it at the border. And they're just like, no, 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 no. Man, it's rough. Had to put a little screen in there to filter out the gr- granules. Oh. I just drank them. I don't give a shit. Did you really? <laughs> that's why I'm going real good tonight. <laughs> Okay, so he's representing himself in court like a goddamn superstar. So he tells the court that it was 10-year-old Peter Smart who killed his parents before killing himself. Oh, my God. Disgusting. Yeah. He also claims he and the boy were friends, and that's why he had a key to their house, is that he didn't steal it after killing them. It was that the son made friends with a a 38-year-old scumbag. Um, I don't think so. So, the, although the judge does, at the end of the trial, say that Peter Manuel's def- defended himself with a skill that is quite remarkable. You don't need to compliment the dude. <laughs> well, that's how good he was. The judge is like, look, I hate you, and I have to say, <laughs> that was pretty impressive. But the jury is like, uh-uh. Uh, they're having none, so they find him guilty on all charges. He doesn't get charged for the murder of Anne Neelan's because there is no evidence connecting him to her murder, sadly. But 
It doesn't matter because he's still sentenced to death by hanging. That's right. And William Watt is immediately released from jail and completely exonerated for the murders of his family. Jesus. Which, can you imagine? It's like they've been treating him like a criminal. It's like, oh no, his family was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. Did they have lawsuits back then? I hope so. Um, Okay, so here's a great hometown email that we got about this. Hi, Karen and Georgia. I'm a big fan. I can't wait for you to play London. I want to tell you about my family's local murders and close calls. I live in London, but originally I'm from a small town in Scotland called Coatbridge. Thank God. (laughs) And in the 50s, my gran worked in a factory in Glasgow and had to get the bus back by herself, often late at night. One night she was coming home and another man got off at the same stop. I'll just remember you. Remember he told Mary, mm-hmm. I think we ride the, the same, same bus. bus. Um, okay. Did I just say, I'll uh-huh. just remember you? <laughs> I, <did. laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. I thought it'd be a dick move to be like, you said that wrong. <laughs> no, it's not. <sighs> I'll just remember you. This is where the jet lag really starts to hit good, like a drug. Drop that beat. Okay. Okay, so one night she was coming home and another man got got off on the same stop. He began chatting to her, asking her where she lived, and said something along the lines of, it's not safe for a young woman such as yourself to be walking alone at Mm -hmm. night. Creep. My gran was always a smart woman and sensed something was off, so she told him not to worry and that her husband was meeting her halfway to walk her back. Smart. Genius. He seemed happy with this and continued making general small talk for the next 10 minutes or so until he turned around and said, you're a fucking liar. (gasps) In the 50s. Can you imagine the blood, your blood would run cold. Yeah, it's like, uh, oh, but you were so nice one second ago, now you have shark eyes. My gran asked him what he was talking about, and he said, well, uh, we're well past halfway to your house. No one's coming to get you. It's just you and me out here. My gran freaked the fuck out. (laughs) She started screaming like fuck and didn't stop. Lights started going on in the houses around her, and the man ran off into the night. Thank God. Years later, the news reported on a man who was captured on suspicion of murder. And as soon as they sh- uh, they'd shown his mugshot, my grand instantly went, that's him, that's the man from the bus. Fuck. It was Peter Manuel, a serial killer who committed at least seven murders, including two entire families. As more and more details of his crimes came out, it was revealed he successfully defended himself from a rape charge in near identical circumstances to the one my grand found herself in. And then he goes on to tell a very quick story about how this same grandma also warned his mother against ever going to this one ice cream man, and that ice cream man turned out to be Fred West. What? <laughs> grandma. grandma. Listen to your fucking grandma. Kicking ass all day long. Anyways, hope you enjoyed this. Can't wait to see you in the UK. SSGDM Brendan. Amazing. So good. So, and just to wrap it up on a, on a positive note, on July 11th, 1958, serial killer Peter Manuel is hanged on the gallows in Barlini Prison. In his final words were, turn up the radio and I'll go quietly. 
And that is the huge bummer story of the Beast of Birkenshaw, Peter Manuel. Wow, that was intense. Isn't that awful and insane? Great job. Thank you. Very fucking intense. So, in- I mean, whole families. It's yeah, just horrifying. it's heartbreaking. Horrifying. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Heavy hitter. And great, great story told beautifully in glass. Thank you. Oh, and Cookie loved it. Cookie approves. She was like, yay. <laughs> loved it. Uh, loved it. That was awesome. Thank you. Uh, I, I I don't remember it. Okay. I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the amazing accents <laughs> that everyone has. And we had an amazing time. We and the, audi- the audience was the greatest. They were. We had, we. it was a great show. It was. It really was. Yeah. Um, okay, my story. I never thought I'd do this, but look, here we are in Seattle. I think we have a lot of shows in Se- like when we do Seattle or, you know, Chicago or whatever, we have like four shows in a row. And so we have to find a different story for every night. And it's like, fuck, you know, scrambling to find the best ones. And so, of course, I was like, well, who other then D.B. Cooper represents oh, yeah. this city. Yes. So in uh, the Pacific Northwest, man, it's just ripe with stories. So this is me in Seattle of October 2018 covering none other than D.B. Cooper, man. All right. Hey, you guys. Hi. Uh, on an afternoon, a day before Thanksgiving in 1971, a guy calling himself Dan Cooper. Okay. Did you know this? Boarded a Northwest Airlines flight 305 in Portland bound for Seattle. Um, that's right. He was wearing a dark suit and a black tie and described as a business executive type. Mm-hmm. He's a fucking picture uh, Don Draper. All right. <laughs> Which is... Okay. Wow. In the air. He opens his briefcase, shows a bomb to the flight attendant, and hijacks that motherfucking plane. Yeah. The plane lands in Seattle. He demands $200,000 in cash, over $1 million today. Oh, I love the, the translation. Mm, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's, it's always $2 and a million dollars in today's money. Inflation. Oh, my God. What's happening? Yeah. Is money real? It doesn't yeah. matter. But um, <laughs> but the minimum wage has not gone up since. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was for real. 
Was, Sorry. The minimum wage was six six dollars and twenty five cents in nineteen seventy one, and it's six dollars and twenty five cents <laughs> in today's money. Let's get those bankers their bonuses. Right. They deserve them. <laughs> what are we doing? I don't know. It's the late show. You guys knew when you bought tickets. We were a little yeah. we're, we're on the fucking verge. Georgia forgot her shoes. That's <laughs> we're there. We're there. That's right. And my tissue. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh God. Um parachutes he asks for when they land in Seattle. A pair of shoes? Four parachutes. <laughs> parachutes, she said. Remember when I told everyone to vote and you thought I said Vogue? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the end of the show, heartfelt message. George's like, and please everybody, Vogue. And I was just like, girl, you're about 15 years late on that message, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Paris is burning. Paris is burning, ladies and gentlemen. They did it first. That's right. Okay. Uh, for parachutes and food for the crew, which is like really nice. Um, he ordered them food? He, got, he, he wanted, I want a hundred, he said, I want a million dollars in today's money. <laughs> I want four parachutes, which I'm sure the flight attendants were like, oh shit. Yeah. That's, it's more than him. Yeah, that's more than one person. Uh, food for the crew, and, uh, all, and then he released all the passengers. Well, that's right. Nice. So not a, reasonable. Yeah, not a dick so far. Okay. I mean, don't, don't, you know, hijack shit, but whatever. Back then it was quaint. Uh, <laughs> it happened a lot back then. Yeah. Yeah. People were, it was like, um, it was like the new meme. Meme me. <laughs> Planking. No, don't do it. Steven, edit that out. So there's three pilots, one flight attendant left on board. They take off from Seattle with the marked bills. Um, heading south, it was dark and lightly raining. 45 minutes after takeoff, uh, Dan Cooper sent the flight attendant to the cockpit, puts on the parachute. I'm sure he winked at her because that, that sounds like the kind of guy he is. Uh-huh. He did it. Called the horse over, got onto it. Later days, Missy. <laughs> the, the three other parachutes were for his horse. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I do apologize. No, that was great. Uh, he ties the bag full of $20 bills to himself, lowered the rear stairs, and somewhere north of Portland, fucking later days. Um, sorry, what kind of... So it was like some kind of a military plane where like this... No, it was like a passenger plane. But remember, they used to have to get off on the tarmac and walkie walk like we do in Burbank? Right, yes. So it was like that. But those stairs get rolled up. Well, listen. (laughs) So sorry. What do you want from me? Pretend I didn't ask that question. (laughs) I'll look it up later on. There's a hard, strong rule with this podcast that you and I, it's never been spoken, and I feel like maybe tonight's the night. Tonight's the night. Don't ask questions. Don't fucking question me. Details, question mark? Mm -mm. No, no, no. So sorry. No, no, it's all good. My mistake. No, no, it's great. I love it. Okay. Stairs happen. But they have to land the plane with the stairs out, and they land on everyone's No, that doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) And then they find two remaining parachutes and a black tie in the seat that he was sitting in. So he, like, took one of the parachutes with him. What does that mean? Well... Maybe Let's he- ask him. Come on out. Oh, my Dan. God. You son of a bitch. You on his horse? He comes out on the horse? <laughs> or what if he fucking parachuted in right now? 
guess anyone's ever parachuted in here. That'd be rad. <laughs> I don't know. Probably David Lee Roth at uh-huh. some point. That's totally his style. Um, local police and FBI are immediately questioning suspects. An Oregon man named na- an Oregon man named D.B. Cooper existed. He had a minor police record, and he was one of the first people of interest on the case. Contacted um, on the off chance the hijacker had used his real name, like an idiot. <laughs> Is what they didn't mean to what they meant to say. Um, but he's quickly ruled out as a suspect. But local a local reporter is immediately like, "I got to get my deadline in. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna say that that's his name." And so his name becomes DB Cooper. But that's not his fucking name. Oh, DB Cooper is an other guy in Portland that yeah. just had that name. Yeah. And that's- the original guy's like, "My name was Dan, but thanks, dude. <laughs> thanks for the cover." Yeah. Um, so DB Cooper becomes the name of legend that you all know and tolerate. (laughs) (laughs) The military's called in, a thousand troops search the suspected jump zone. They do all these like bananas tests that were like probably really high tech for the 70s, but we would laugh at if we saw today. What, like a a crate of bananas (laughs) goes out the airplane? A guy in a gorilla suit (laughs) is like, pretends to be a eat a banana. They like fly over like the ocean and then they parachute down to see like what trajectory he would have had and all this shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And they like picked this, this, it was a Boeing 727. And they um, did all this crap like that. And so they concluded what time he jumped and all this bullshit. But they didn't find anything. Mm. Um, FBI agents recovered 66 unidentified latent prints on the plane. Uh, and the agents... I know, there's probably a lot of passengers that might have been... Yeah, I think that's how planes oh, are. Unidentified. <laughs> so maybe they, they ruled oh, out like the other they ones. Couldn't, they couldn't rule them out. Yes. Got you. Um, they were the people who brought the stairs. <laughs> they forgot about those people. <laughs> Authorities interview eyewitnesses in Portland, Seattle, and Reno, and all of the flight, flight crew who are personally uh, interacted with Cooper, and some sketches are drawn, like the one you just saw. And um, ultimately, the search operation is arguably the most extensive and intensive in U.S. history, uncovered no significant material evidence related to the hijacking. Dad? If... <laughs> <laughs> Marty? Marty! Oh my god! Marty. That was my dad, you guys. <laughs> and you just kind of realize it tonight. Yeah. I was going to say, it, his eyes do look a bit like, um, you know how f- when flounders' eyes go over to the side? <laughs> it, they look like they're drifting a tiny bit. What if it was a, a fish that got turned into a man, he jumped over the ocean, he landed in the water, and he brought money back to his flounder friends who needed? <laughs> I'm real tired. That is... You just pitched a Disney movie from 1969. <laughs> Congratulations. And everyone's racist. Okay. <laughs> a month after the hijacking, the FBI distributed a list of... So they, they give out the money serial numbers for everyone to keep their you know, sharp eye on because you know how much everyone loves staring at money. <laughs> and uh, they give the money to financial institutions, casinos, racetracks, other fun places that people like to hang out when they have a shit ton of money. And um, let's see, the FBI investigates over the years but doesn't catch a break until nine years later in 1980 when a young boy who probably became the coolest fucking kid at school named Brian Ingram is digging a fire pit in the sand at a place called Tana Bar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not a fucking word. Not a, there wasn't a sound in this place. I bet it's not because I got it right either. I mean, I, yeah, I think they might be just baffled. I am right there with them. 
This fucking cool kid. He uncovers three bundles of cash a couple inches below the surface with rubber bands still intact. And there's a total, he finds a total of $5,800, which in today's money is um, a million. (laughs) (laughs) And FBI, he gives the money. Yeah, he's probably a Boy Scout, so he gives the money. He tells everyone about it instead of his family hiding it away. <laughs> like you're saying you would do? No. <laughs> FBI, they confirm that the money is, is from the ransom, so some of it got lost on the way. Here's some of that money. Ooh, Isn't that money. cool and creepy? Look at that money. I love that. I love money. Oh, wait. I have the one after that. <laughs> what if I knew all the numbers of my money? Wait, sorry. It looked like that when he found it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, the, so he found it, he found it, they searched and analyzed the beach, and the river was dredged, and they're, ca- they're called Cooper Hunters, they call themselves. Guys, there's gotta be something better than that. Give think me of one it. second. Think of it. Just think give of me it. a You've got this. No, I'm never gonna do it. Now uh, I can only think about how I'm not thinking of it. Cupertinos? Nope. Uh, Cooperinos? DB Cooperitos. <laughs> uh, okay. I like my favorite. My favorite uh, fan name of a you know obsessed people is mm-hmm. Chris Pine, that actor from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. H- his fans call themselves Pine Nuts. <laughs> Amazing! It's the best one of all time. Amazing! I'm a Pine Nut. I admit it. I'm a Pine Nut. I like. His I like. Eyebrows. Didn't care about him to, to slightly dislike because I hate pretty people <laughs> until you told me that, and I was like, I like that I Chris love Pine. Him. He's Fun. You know what? He's down to earth. His dad was the um, like lieutenant from Chips. Oh, okay. I like yeah. him. Don't worry. You're somewhere out there, Chris. Somewhere out there, Chris Pine's heart is just like warming because I like him now. That's right. It means something to those people. Yeah. A body wasn't found. No shit, said everyone. Um, in eight, 1986, after years of negotiations, okay, so the, the family and the FBI and the, and the airliner's insurance company who had paid the airline this ransom that they had to give away, mm-hmm. the kid and the airliner are like, it's my money. And they're like, oh, it's my money. No, it's my money. And finally they... You mean that kid from the beach? Yeah. <laughs> it's not his money. So, it's totally... He found it. And they already got paid back for the ransom. Oh, oh, I see. Don't you think? I think. Let the kid have the money, airlines. Yeah, well, but the money he found was just shitty green paper with holes in it, so. That's true. They would have been like, you can keep that money, you little fucking asshole. (laughs) Keep all of it. Well, in the end, the money is divided equally between the kid and the airlines insurer. And (laughs) the insurers are, it went back to eating uh, the poor. So... (laughs) You are so political tonight. I'm loving it. Let's get into it. uh, This kid, when he grew up, sold his bills at auction in 2008 for... So he got half of what he found, which was 5,800, and then he sold the bills at auction in in 2008, and he got $37,000 for that. Yes. Now I'm on Brian's side. That's right. But to date, none of the 9,710 remaining bills have turned up anywhere in the world, which is creepy and weird, right? Yes. This, did he die? The serial numbers uh, are still available, though, so check your money, everyone. <laughs> uh, and it's a huge debate if he died in the jump or not. Uh, let's talk about the suspect profile. So they drew that fucking picture of the flounder, and then <laughs> over 
a 45-year span of active investigation, the FBI, the, you know, every now and then, the, the Cooper Hunters, the Cupertinos, which I'm calling them from now on, sometimes will be like, well, what about this? You know, I imagine that's how they talk. And, Why I? And the FBI is like, shut up. <laughs> Truly. Um, so he, so they think that, the FBI does think that Cooper appeared to be familiar with the Seattle area because he maybe uh, may have been an Air Force veteran based on testimony that he recognized the city of Tacoma from the air. You guys from the air he are like, amazing. Hey girl. Hey girl. As they went around Puget Sound, he was like, hey, there's Tacoma. Drop me off. Yeah. Um, and so they, and they also theorized that Cooper took his alias from a popular Belgium comic book series of the 1970s featuring a fictional hero named Dan Cooper. Tintin? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How fun was he that he like went to lengths to like pick the right name? It was a guy who was a um, fictional hero. He was a Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot, um, who took part in numerous heroic adventures, including parachuting. And his name was Dan Cooper. And the guy's like, I'm going to do Dan Cooper. And they're like, no, but Stevie Cooper. Cause some fucking newspaper. <laughs> guy was lazy he didn't <laughs> fact check his shit like what a bummer I mean, so that's why he you, never spent the money do you excuse me do you think that dan cooper uh when he picked that name was like giving clues or something or like trying yeah. to be like puzzly and interesting yes i think he's a roller derby and he just like wanted a cool name <laughs> so he's just like you know what dan cooper he was like one of those guys that's like um can you guys call me stretch from now on <laughs> it's my new nickname <laughs> They're like, no, Dale. <laughs> you can't pick your own nickname, Dale. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, and in addition to planning his escape perfectly, he also took back his ransom note and wore dark glasses, showing that he kind of knew, you know, how to evade a little bit. So they didn't have the handwriting sample and all that bullshit. So between 1971 and 2006, the FBI processed over a thousand, quote, serious suspects, um, including... A, publicity seekers and deathbed confessors which is like uh, those poor people are like I have nothing um, I'm B.B. Cooper like <laughs> you gotta do something to th you can confess one day nothing <laughs> too serious just something kind of interesting yeah yeah. Um, but they're all nothing more than circumstantial evidence could be found to implicate any of them when I'm on my deathbed you know what I'm gonna confess tell me no, you, don't, you can't do it now or it won't come true okay. <laughs> <laughs> right Oh, it's all going to come true. <laughs> what? I'm going to be laying there and then I'm going to be like, come closer. <laughs> like a drunk, drunk Karen. Come here. Yeah, it's a secret. I'm going to final secret. <laughs> final secret, Karen. Uh -huh. And I'm going to go, I have a pine nut. <laughs> People are like, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's so sad. She thought she was a nut. It was very sad. Just delusional. Just totally insane. <laughs> Um, one suspect that people thought was, it was John List. Remember him? Yes, I do. That fucking psychopath who killed, he's the family annihilator dude from way back when. With the, you remember the creepy bust on America's Most Wanted and then he saw it himself and was like, oh, that's me. I killed my whole family way back when. Yeah. And he like later, remember that guy? Killed his family, laid them out in the ballroom. Uh-huh. You remember. <laughs> you don't um, have to go through the whole thing. <laughs> well, he was an accountant and a World War II and Korean vet. And um, he, it, it, he, did, he did all that killing 15 days before the Cooper hijacking. Is that true? Mm -hmm. 
That's a good theory. Yeah. He withdrew $200,000 from his mother's bank account and disappeared, which just realized is the exact same it amount. It is the money. exact same amount. And it's a million dollars in today's money. <laughs> this cannot be. Uh-huh. So he came to the attention of the task force because of his timing of his disappearance, multiple matches to the hijacker's description, which he did look, he looked just like the bust. I didn't put it up there because I actually deleted all this <laughs> earlier because I was, wasn't going to bother. And there you're just kind of stuck in it? And now I'm kind of glad it's here. Yeah. Oh, I like um, it. And also because their reasoning was that, quote, a fugitive accused of mass murder has nothing to lose. That's right. That's the only way I would jump out of a fucking plane, personally. Parachute or no. <laughs> I mean, ideally, parachute. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I would say best case scenario, parachute. Yeah. At least one. After his capture in 1989, Liss admitted to murdering his family, but because, and he said he didn't do the hijacking, and because we fucking trust mass psychotic fucking murderers, <laughs> where everyone's like, okay. And oh, you didn't? No. Nope. Oh, thank you so much. Great. We appreciate it, yes. sir. Have fun, and, you know, et cetera. Um, so there's no evidence that implicates him, Baba, and they don't consider him a suspect. He's dead. Yay. Um, the most popular uh, theory person, suspect, is this guy named Robert, Res- Robert Wesley Rackstraw. What? What a dick. Say it again. Robert Wesley Rackstraw. That sounds like when you're, um, this is him. Oh. He looks like the guy. Well, he's got flounder eyes if I've ever seen him, everybody. <laughs> Am I wrong or wrong? It looks exactly like it him. It looks exactly like Can him. Can we see the uh, sketch real quick and then go back to him? Yeah. Boom. That's the... Yeah. 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 Guilty. We go back one more time? That's fun. And then boom. Yes. Guilty. 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 He did it. I think he's also... Uh, I think <laughs> I he think also... He's just, what? He looks like he, you asleep, the mouth open. <laughs> Sir, you're, this is a, a mug shot. It's going to be forever. Oh, what? Uh, what? Huh? What? <laughs> Which direction? Sorry, what, where do I look? So this fucking winner is a retired <laughs> pilot, an ex-con who served, he served on an army helicopter crew and other units during Vietnam. He, he, uh, in February 1978, he was arrested in Iran and deported to the U.S. to face explosives possession and check-kiting charges. Bet that's a typo. No, no, it's, it, check-kiting is when you write bad checks. Really? Yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> Never. Really? That's weird. It's true. Okay. It's, it's you know, like 50s talk. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's a check cutter, see? Some kind of check cutter? Well, <laughs> that's fine. We'll get him. Um, <laughs> write the serial numbers down. We'll find them. 824-7389. We should start doing long-form improv during this live podcast. Oh, my God. Oh. No, don't you dare cheer for improv. God damn it. <laughs> it's really triggering for us, you guys. <laughs> okay, give us an occupation. <laughs> oh, I'm going to start sweating. <laughs> like, oh no, why did I sign up for this class? What? But what if we solve this case through improv? Yeah. We just throw that sound ball back and forth until we figure out who this man is. Zip, zap, John Hamm. <laughs> cool. Boop, boop, 
He fucking does this shit. He does a bunch of stuff. He attempts to fake his own death by radioing a false mayday call tells controllers that he was bailing out of a rented plane over Monterey Bay. Um, police arrest him on other shit. And um, so no direct evidence, essentially. Whatever. But I mean, he, he knew how to work a parachute. Yeah, he, he knew a lot about planes and, and jumping out of them and being an asshole and like <laughs> doing illegal shit. Yeah. And he looked like that. Yeah. So guilty. Lock him up. <laughs> Lock him the fuck up. Throw away the key. In, in 2016, the Rack Straw reemerges a suspect uh, as in a History Channel program and book, and um, they all think that it's, it's him. It's not. It might be. I don't know. <laughs> we can't uh, say. And then, um, mm, 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 copycats. There was a shit ton. And all 15 hijackings similar to Cooper's, all unsuccessful, huh, uh, were attempted in 1972. You know what I wouldn't do in 1972? Get on a fucking plane. Yeah. You know, that thing of like, it's more likely you'll die in a car accident than on a plane. Back then they were like, no, you'll probably get hijacked. I just like to, uh, in 1972, I like to fly just so I could smoke. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you so. don't even have to smoke because everyone else is chain smoking inside of a fucking yeah. cylinder that you're sitting in. That's right. And they're like, just what's her problem? Every, who, does anyone need a lighter? Let's get yeah. these cigarettes lit. <laughs> Let's get this explo- exposed flame out in the open. <laughs> okay. Um, We're taking down the airline industry tonight. That's right. And, and of course, uh, part of the reason why we have to take our shoes off at the airport is because this asshole, like, it all led up to this, you know. <laughs> You're blaming him for that. Probably. <laughs> Over 37 years before you had to take your shoes off. Um, and then, uh, in, yeah, in early 1973, the FAA began requiring all al- airlines, not aliens, to search all passengers and their bags. So it's his fault. But I also am okay with it. Just, you know, be quick. Get through that line. Yeah. Come on, Just, everyone. You have to take your shoes off. Yeah. You have to. Pay attention. Just Pay do attention. it. Grab your fucking thing. Computer goes in a separate it's thing. It's not new. It's super easy. It's not new. And also, don't wear a belt to the airport, you dumb shit. Yeah. Like, what's wrong? Why? Don't accessorize. No one gives a shit about your accessories. 20 in your people purse. back start to untie your shoes. Yeah. 20 people minimum. And if you're me, and listen to your therapist and don't watch the line. Yeah. <laughs> I had to tell Vince to stop watching the line. Because you start hating people's guts oh, so bad. Oh, I just bad. lose my that. This person won't do that. This per- yeah. Like, and- Sir, your phone's in your pocket. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <sighs> it's hard being perfect. <laughs> Um, so Sorry, being an asshole. It's hard. <laughs> it sucks. Okay. So essentially, um, the airlines just wait. Da, 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 da. Okay. Basically, the FBI are like, he's definitely dead. We couldn't find him, so it's on him. Um, <laughs> he died on us. Yeah. So they they could I mean where who and where and could we please find out I need a real deathbed confession. What I think is interesting and maybe the problem with this case is that who gives a shit? 
You know what I mean? It's like, he got the money. He got away with it. Yeah. There's shit happening in this country. We're just like, yeah, I'm good with the FBI focusing on pretty much anything else than Don Draper killing it parachute style and getting away with what? Uh, $11,000? Like, go to town, friend. Buy a condo. You got, you did it, buddy. Like, we'd, the worst things are happening here. Yeah. Right? And that is the, the case of D.B. Cooper. <laughs> Best one yet. You know what? I'm going to declare that that was my favorite murder and no one was killed. <laughs> you just killed it. You just, like, ended that. I didn't know where I was going to end that on. Yeah. And then you did it for me, and I you appreciate know why? that. Because in improv, you have to sense your partner's need, and you <laughs> fill it Thank you. with bullshit. There you go. What a great job you did with that. Oh, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'm trying to be delicate about it, you know, in case he's still alive. In case it was a woman dressed as a man. I was just thinking that exact same thing. <laughs> Anything's possible with D.B. Cooper. That's Truly. the beauty of that story. I really honestly thought at the end of Mad Men, they were, that was going to be the twist. <laughs> it was like they made this, they did this whole thing where they alluded to like an airplane and him wanting to leave town. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, what was his name in the show? Was it Who, John Hamm's name? Yeah. Do you remember Steven? It's going to drive me insane that I, I can't just no, answer I'm like, this. Why can I not remember his character's name? I watched the whole thing. It is, <sighs> it is. Wow, he's doing Don Draper. Don Draper. So it was, yeah, thank you. God damn it. Leave that in. I beat Google. I beat Google. Leave that in. So it was DB. So it was like Don something. And then Cooper was the name of the the company he worked for or owned Mm -hmm. or whatever. And I really thought it was going to be like the Twisteroo, which I... But I would pay to see it reshot that way. That's such a good theory. It wasn't mine. I never. Thank you. Oh, it wasn't. Oh, oh. No, it's like a Reddit fan theory that I was like, damn it. Why didn't I think of that one first? Like someone tweeted it. And I was like, Fuck. I love when people do that where I'm like, I can't believe people pay such close attention when they're watching TV. <laughs> like, I'm, it's really impressive. Yeah. It's really impressive. Yeah. That's or like think of tweets while they're in the middle of a TV program. Yeah. And now for the hometown, it's actually from the same uh, show from Georgia's story. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the best told hometowns we've ever had at a live mm-hmm. show. And we've had some great ones. This one is very sad. It's very personal and is beautifully told. Yeah. So please listen now to Dina's hometown from that same live show in Seattle. We have time for our hometown. Great job, though. That was hard and rough. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. Way to go. Look who it is. Oh, it's Vince. Yo. Thank you. Yeah, is this yeah. thing on this time? Yeah, yeah. Check, check. One, Yo. two. Yo, what's up? It's our tour manager, my husband, and by proxy, Karen's husband. That's right. Yo. Vince Averill. That's right. Seattle, home to the world's first gas station. What? what? Good job, guys. Now, let's get a quick one done and get out of here. <laughs> Thanks, man. Okay, we're going to do a hometown murder. If you have one, you have to listen. Stop yelling at me. Okay, <laughs> it needs to be fast. We have to get out of here very soon. Um, you, you can't be so drunk that you can't tell your own story. Mm-hmm. Beginning, middle, end, freshman English. If you're yelling at me, you're not listening to the rules and you won't get picked. Mm-hmm. Ooh, mom. <laughs> 
It again has to be fast. Don't be drunk. Uh, I said that one. Great. Um, I, and drunk. also, um, uh, oh, everyone hates you. So just remember, just keep it moving. No shout outs to your friends. Nobody gives a shit. Oh, it has to be local. Yeah. And now Georgia will pick the hometown murder. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You who look really not into it, get up here. Yeah. Right here. This way. Here she comes. Oh, she's she's so mad at her friend for making her do this. Hi. <laughs> Come here. Oh, she brought her phone. Dina? What's your Dina. name? Dina. 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 With Dina. Dina. Nice Dina. Nice to meet you. Come here. Come over here. here. Okay. Take this. Look, you match us. Even. Are you going to make a phone call really quick? Well, I, I have a note on here. You have notes? No notes. Oh, I need a note. No, you don't do the same thing I we do. Get I up here. Crazy quote right. Okay. Where are you from? I am from a little town that used to be called Slaughter. Oh. You might have heard of it. It's also called now Auburn. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Wow. A few little murder connections in my life. Okay. This one is personal, and it does make me a little... I'll try not to get emotional. Get emotional. Um, you can. Yeah. It's called Bipolar Ant in the government subsidized apartment with a nice pick. Oh, oh no. no. Okay. So I was born in the 70s, had the free-range Wild West childhood yeah. with a very big family, very big Catholic family. My uncle married a woman who I adored. She was the greatest aunt. Tons of fun. Um, had a very big family. Their children were around our age. We lived five minutes apart. Spent a lot of time with them. Um, never knew anything was wrong until I was a teenager. When they first got married, her, she was a big family, one of the oldest children, her mother passed away, had younger kids, and they took them in. Mm. One of them had a de developmentally disability and um, was dependent on care, and she stayed with them for the rest of her life. When I was a teenager, she, my aunt had some issues with some mental illness and was eventually diagnosed as bipolar. And did some really crazy, crazy shit. Mm. But it was funny. And we would see her later, and she would, she would laugh about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and if she was on her meds, she was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she, like, tried to dig into another friend's um, where he had some helicopters. Mm -hmm. And he was, she was going to dig under the fence, get the helicopters, fly up, because my uncle was, there was aliens or... Yeah, It was sure. never anything violent. Mm -hmm. So anyway, she became the legal caregiver for her sister with the disabilities um, because of all the issues. Her and my uncle did get divorced, and um, but the, she still lived in the same town. They still were remained close. My uncle would even watch uh, Nanette. What's her name? Mm -hmm. He would watch her occasionally to give my aunt a break. But she was her caregiver. So her, their oldest child has a baby, and she becomes more involved. You know, in their life, very excited about the baby. She also discovered that she didn't need to take her medication mm -hmm. because she became religious mm -hmm. and she didn't need to take it. She had found not, nothing wrong with religion, but yep. please well, take your medication. Yeah. <laughs> if you leave here with anything tonight. Yeah. Yeah. The moral of the story is. <laughs> That's right. So she um, was starting to say weird things again and acting strangely. She, my cousin happens to have three sixes in a social security number, mm, mm -mm. and she was going on about how that means that he's satanic, and that maybe the baby would, and she needed to, anyway, stuff that was odd. So we um, luckily told um, the mother of the child, do not let her alone with the baby. Mm -hmm. She wanted to babysit. She wanted, mm. we're like, nah, -uh, mm -mm. nope. Um, I have some healthcare experience. Um, my aunt, not the one 
with the problems. She worked mental health. We both sat them down and said, don't let her alone with the baby. We talked to um, my Aunt Patty's daughter and tried to give her some help. Um, she had already contacted her um, care, the people she would get her mental health care from, and they told her there's nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, she hasn't made any threats to herself. She hasn't made any threats to anybody else. And um, we can't force her to come in. You can't force her to take medication. And very, very shortly after that, this was in, I think, 1998, um, she calls my uncle in the middle of the night, my Aunt Patty, and says, um, you know, that basically, I, some of this I've heard, second, third hand, you know, it's a big family. Yeah. Some of it was in the news, it's in the paper, um, and that she had done something to Nana, and he needed to come over, and then they, she need, he needed to help her, and then they were, needed to go over to my cousin Aaron's house. Mm-hmm. And so he thinks, oh, Patty, it's okay. She's, she's going to be okay. You know, there's, she's just yeah. thinks she's done something. And he got over there, and she had. She had um, killed Minute in her sleep with an ice pick. Wow. And we're really hoping that Nana never knew. Right. Um, yeah. And she had a lot of weird, that was the, the quote, she had lots of weird shit, I guess, written in her Bible. She had something written, please forgive me, God, um, because... Saddam, I think it was Saddam Hussein has ruled the world or something, mm. and he told me to do it, and I needed to murder Nanette. <sighs> and um, it was very, very, very hard for my um, cousin, especially her daughter. Sure. And it, st- it still is to this day. I mean, we still don't talk to her about it, because she's just, it was very hard for her. Um, it was hard for us. And she is one of the people that did get... Um, uh, not guilty by reason of insanity. Okay, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So she is still in Western State Hospital. Well, well, well that's which is the big uh, mental health. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, and it's. Oh my it, She'll probably be there forever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And so please, everyone, get your. I love, thank Take you so mind. much. Of for course. Being that was an amazing. Yeah. That was a really nice yeah. share. Yeah. And it was my daughter who yeah. told me to do this. Yes. <laughs> amazing. Great job. Great job. Give it up for her right now. Yes. Dina. Dina, give it up for Dina. Dina. Great job. And my daughter did not do a crazy ninja roll up here, so I'm very surprised. <laughs> Thank you. And I didn't great need to read my notes. I know you did great. That was really, really good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Whew, man, I'm telling like I don't want to let go of the luck of the draw hometown pick that we do. Because I know. It's so hit or miss. When it's a miss, it's hilarious and everyone is laughing their ass off. Yeah. Or, you know, and they're still supportive. It's like such a great thing. But right. when it's a hit, it's like serendipity. And and sometimes there's these times where it's just this beautiful moment and people who have been there with us know uh, you're kind of experiencing a thing that can't happen anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And it's really a bonding kind of beautiful thing. And it's so, uh, it just is like one of the coolest things about this, the, our listeners and this community yeah. that we're so excited to be, yeah. um, a part of. It's just like, wow. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, well, speaking of live shows next week, Karen and I, and Steven especially are taking <laughs> a much needed hiatus, uh, of a day, of a, a day, a week, a life to it's one day, really, in all in the grand scheme of it's things. It's one day. Um, so we're going to put up a live episode that only the fan cult has heard. Yeah. And we're just, we just need to take a little bit of a, we need to recharge mm. our batteries mm. and um, 
you know, get our get our stuff together and then we'll be back with brand new episodes on uh, all new stories. Yeah. And, um, you know, a little bit of a razzle dazzle. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> same exact thing. I just said it in French. Oh, I said it in theater and theater. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah. So thanks for listening. And guys, thanks for being with us throughout this pandemic. I, uh, it's been a joy to, um, be doing it for you. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and a exciting challenge. (laughs) Such is life. Uh, thank you, Stephen Ray Morris for being our, uh, Sherpa, our audio engineer Sherpa and Google, Google master of the universe. (laughs) Hannah Crichton, who's our acting producer right now, who we could, who is making our lives easier. It turns out that when you get a fucking producer on, who's yeah. smart and talented. Yeah. Then you don't have to do it yourself. It's yeah. the greatest. Yeah. She has our next eight weeks of stories. She demanded them and we didn't want to let her down because she's really nice. <laughs> so they're planned. We're, we're after, after year five, we're really getting it together, everybody. <laughs> it's going to be a whole new thing. Not really. Um, <laughs> but anyway, thanks for listening. Yep. And stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Look at Frank. Elvis, do you want a cookie? Hey, guys. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Alex Shapiro. We're estheticians, friends, and the hosts of the True Beauty Broken podcast, premiering on Exactly Right Network Friday, April 30th. Okay, Alex, you're more than an esthetician. You're the best waxer on this side of the East River. (laughs) Okay. Well, when you put it that way, we're also more than just friends. We work together in our beauty studio in Brooklyn. We're both obsessed with the art of shaping gorgeous eyebrows. And the science behind beautiful, healthy skin. We think that you might be in need of a couple of beauty therapists to add to your multicultural circle of internet friends. Every Friday, we invite old and new friends who identify as women, members of the LGBTQ plus community, and other groups that have historically been marginalized to share their life's journey with us. The show is one part conversations with incredible people, one part beauty school with guest experts that you actually want to learn from, add hilarious segments about living in today's multicultural world, mistakes we've made throughout life, listeners' skincare, hair, and beauty questions, and you have our weekly recipe for how to be a badass. Okay, so who can we brag on? Let's name names of who's come to hang with us. Okay, well, there's our friend Kenny Davis, a.k.a. the trans capitalist. Yes, he taught us all about finance and getting our money right. Mm-hmm. And of course, our celeb beauty guru bestie, Sabrina Holdsworth, stops by once a month. Yes, she's here to help us answer your listener questions. And don't forget about the time when our sex therapist friend Chelsea Fasano came and taught us about how to create intimacy in the digital age. Oh my God, that was definitely one of my favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. Be sure to listen to the network premiere of the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast on Friday, April 30th on Exactly Right. Subscribe now on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. If you like what you hear, write us a review. We would love it. And follow us on Instagram at True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast. And on Twitter at True Beauty BK Pod. See, See you soon. soon.